Somebody Somewhere is a production of Rainstream Media Incorporated. This podcast investigates a murder that occurred in 2001. It is a true story, but the opinions of the hosts and interviewees are simply that, opinions, not facts. And the credibility of the witnesses and what they say is to be determined by the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Previously on Somebody Somewhere. Good afternoon, everyone. I want to welcome you all to the Tom Wales Conference Room here at the U.S. Attorney's Office. It's a little bit more than they just don't want to talk to us. They've actually asked us to stand down. You know, again, I, I, I don't want to criticize the case agents themselves, but I do recognize the tunnel vision and the bias that can occur in this and other cases. If whatever you're doing hasn't worked for six years and it hasn't worked for 16 years, maybe you ought to try to do something different. This is special episode 13 of season one, The First Indictment. I'm your host, David Payne. who know who we killed will you. never give up our search for the truth. We will never I have no idea. Up. It could have been a, a vacuum cleaner salesman. And I never thought I'd be here 15 years later. Well, I was pretty certain we wouldn't be back with you on this case for a while. But here we are. Big news with very unclear implications for the Tom Wales murder investigation. Let's start with the lead. Last week, we had the first arrest in this case in 18 years, and it was a very curious one indeed. On Tuesday, August 20th, the Seattle Times broke the news of the indictment and arrest of a 34-year-old woman from Everett, Washington, a city about 40 miles north of Seattle. The woman, Miss Shauna Reed, was charged with lying to a grand jury when she disavowed telling investigators about conversations she had allegedly had years ago with someone the FBI identifies as suspect number one in the indictment. There's a lot to unpack here, and given how complicated this case has been, we want to give you some context for this latest development. First, the charges in this case arose from statements that Miss Reed made to the FBI on August 23rd, August 25th, and December 7th of 2017. So this started more than two years ago. The government specifically alleges that Reed told the FBI in these interviews that a person had bragged to her about his involvement in the murder of a, quote, judge or attorney that lives on top of a hill, end quote. They also allege that she told the FBI that this person, who they identify as suspect number one, bragged to her that the murder victim was, quote, someone of importance, like a judge or attorney general. So the first count of the indictment charges her with lying to the grand jury six months after investigators' first interviews with her. The indictment includes an excerpt from the grand jury transcript where she denies ever saying these things to investigators. The second count of the indictment charges her with obstructing justice by making false statements to investigators, both in the three field interviews 
and in the sworn grand jury testimony. So a couple of things stood out relative to the timing of these events. First, you may recall that we were in the early stages of research on this podcast in September of 2017, when we reached out to the FBI for comment. At that time, the Bureau asked us to stand down because they were working something that would take eight months or so. That request was made about four weeks after the FBI's second interview with Reed. So it's a reasonable inference that the Reed matter was related to the FBI's request. Second, the timing of Ms. Reed being called to the grand jury, a whole six months after her August field interviews, weighs heavily on how much significance we should give to this development. To frame it, this grand jury appearance was literally one week after Rod Rosenstein flew to Seattle to give an update on the 16-year-old investigation. So let's rewind to how this all played out last February. Today, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein was in Seattle. Talk about a huge bump in the reward for help to solve the murder of a federal prosecutor. Assistant U.S. Attorney Thomas... The timing of Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein's visit last year always struck us as a little curious. It wasn't on an anniversary date, as prior press conferences were. And the only thing outwardly happening with the case was the criticism our podcast brought on stones that had not been turned. Least you think we're completely narcissistic, we weren't the only ones who noticed that coincidence. Listen not only to the questions in the press conference, but also to how quickly the press officer shuts down this line of inquiry when it arises. Why now? What, what's different? What's changed? Why? I have a plan. Why now? Well, the answer is that this is not something we're doing just today. This is a persistent effort. Uh, we've come together today to talk about this publicly, in part because of the efforts of the National Association of Former U.S. Attorneys. It's just yet another opportunity for us to alert the public and to encourage people to come forward with any leads. Is there anything else to the timing about this? I mean, there's the podcast about this case that's been getting some attention. Mm -hmm. No. There's nothing else about the timing of this. I did learn about that podcast yesterday, but that had nothing to do with the timing of this event. Do we have any other questions for the special agent in charge or anyone else uh, directly related to this case? So now I'm going to wade into some educated speculation. Rosenstein mentions that he was briefed the day before on the case, including learning about our podcast and its implicit criticisms of the work done and left undone. Based on the timing... There's no question in my mind that in addition to the podcast being discussed, the subject of Miss Shauna Reed also came up in that briefing. It would be natural to ask, tell me what's new in the case. Her most recent field interview was about 10 weeks prior to this briefing. Anybody want to bet that the boss didn't ask why she hadn't been put in the grand jury yet? Cue the scramble for a grand jury subpoena as Rosenstein takes to the microphones the following day. I want to assure you that this murder investigation is very active. We are constantly and aggressively following leads. And Amy, I want you and your family and Tom's friends and colleagues to know that this case is one of the highest priorities of the United States Department of Justice. We will not rest. And while Rosenstein would say all the right things that day, as Deputy Attorney General, I intend to see to it that we leave no stone unturned in our search for the killer who murdered Tom Wells. His days would be numbered and his promises unfulfilled. 
the deputy attorney general handed in his resignation Monday. Rod Rosenstein will leave the post on May 11th. But what about the promises of the other law enforcement officials at the press conference and their understanding of this particular stone that needed turning? With the benefit of this new information about Ms. Shauna Reed, let's re-listen carefully to the comments of former U.S. attorney and now mayor of Seattle, Jenny Durkin. I am urging the people out there I know in human nature, both in my work as a criminal defense lawyer, in my work as a prosecutor, and in city government, that it is human nature to talk. Everybody talks to somebody. The people who are behind this, who did it, talked to somebody. Those people now have had the passage of times, relationships have changed. I'm urging you, urging you, not just for the reward, which is a million and a half dollars, but for human compassion, for the family of Tom Wales, for the people who knew and loved him, to put some closure to this. I want to thank the FBI. It now seems relatively clear that Durkin's emotional plea was targeted at Shauna Reed, especially when buttressed with the comments of former U.S. Attorney Mike McKay that day. There is somebody out there who has information. We need that citizen to come forward now. Maybe he overheard some talk in a bar after someone had a couple of drinks. Maybe she heard a little pillow talk. You need to come forward today. And we hope that these additional funds... And when she didn't accept their invitation that day, the feds put Miss Reed into a grand jury room a week later to see if that would loosen her tongue. And there was one other piece to the government's strategy they apparently crafted in that pre-press conference briefing. The feds picked that day, on the eve of the Rosenstein appearance, to leak to the Seattle Times for the first time that their theory is that there is a group of people who were involved in a conspiracy to kill whales. Here's Q13's Marnie Hughes and David Rose discussing that development that day. Our news partners at the Seattle Times are reporting that sources say the shooting involved a conspiracy and a hired gunman. Well, I can tell you the FBI is not confirming that report of a hired gunman, but agents will say they believe Tom Wales was killed as a result of his work as a federal prosecutor, and not because he was head of Washington Ceasefire, which is a group trying to reduce gun violence. That means they will be looking closely at the cases he prosecuted as they try to get enough evidence to charge the people involved in this ambush attack. And then FBI special agent in charge of Seattle, Jay Tabb, went on to tell Rose that this conspiracy is centered on the same people they have always had as targets. Effectively ruling out Ms. Shauna Reed as a participant in the conspiracy because she was only 16 years old at the time of the murder. There's a number of persons of interest that still are the same people as they were at the very beginning of the investigation. While agents won't name names, they do believe more than one suspect was involved. But proving it in court is why they need the public's help. So taken together, here's what it looks like to us. The podcast released last year put renewed pressure on the feds to show they were doing something meaningful after 16 years. And frankly, there couldn't have been much on the to-do list that was material in their view. So when the big boss comes to town, you got to believe he asks, what are you working on? And someone says, well, we have this promising lead from this woman who says someone bragged to her about a murder of some judge or attorney. 
So despite almost two decades of trying unsuccessfully to put a Makarov with a replacement barrel in the hands of the pilot, the feds pivot and decide to put credence in this story of the woman and alleged braggart. And now we have a hitman scenario. Because for reasons we'll discuss, it is highly unlikely suspect number one is their prime suspect. And now, when the witness backtracks in the grand jury and denies ever making statements about suspect number one to investigators, they have a real mess on their hands that no one probably knew what to do with. Of course, it's a good thing that Rosenstein and his bosses, Jeff Sessions, then Matthew Whitaker, and then Bill Barr, had a few other pressing matters. So no one's probably sweating the matter. Now fast forward a year and a half later, we start dropping new epilogue episodes of the podcast. Anyone want to bet there wasn't a phone call placed asking about the status of this high-priority investigation? Because not three weeks later, lo and behold, the Fed secure an indictment for one Shauna Reed, a year and a half after she allegedly lied to the grand jury. Now, it's entirely possible our podcast has had no effect on this timeline. In fact, the Seattle Times is openly speculating that the reason for the delay was strategic and that the feds have simply been trying to get Shauna Reed to cooperate for this last year and a half. But I'll take the skeptic's view on this one, based both on how large organizations function and on tea leaves and the docket, which suggests the feds are close to another indictment. But let's also do a gut check on how other lawyers read the breadcrumbs in the Shauna Reed court docket sheet. My name is Phil Bazanson. I'm an attorney in Seattle, and a bulk of my practice involves white-collar criminal defense and securities enforcement defense work. So I wanted to talk to you today about the docket in this uh, Shauna Reed case. So why don't you describe kind of big picture, what is a docket, and what are we looking at collectively here? So a docket is a list of what has happened in the case so far in a typical criminal case, the first entry in a docket sheet will be either a criminal complaint or an indictment or an arrest warrant, the document that kickstarts the action. I'm glad you mentioned that because I noticed in this case, we're missing the number one document in the docket. That's right. That's a little unusual. It's not so shocking if the initial first document is something like a criminal complaint that would be filed under seal and then used to get an arrest warrant and then to go out and re- arrest a defendant and then... But that doesn't appear to be the case here. In fact, I reached out to Reed's attorney who confirmed that there never was a criminal complaint filed in this action against his client. And the only charging document is the indictment, which was filed two months after the first document we actually do have in the court's file. In this case, the very first document referenced in here is a CJA appointment. So it's a, an appointment of a court-paid attorney. And I wonder if you had any observations about that particular document as well. So this is a fairly common thing to have a CJA attorney appointed in a federal criminal case. 
prior to a charging document? Prior to a charging document is much less common. But what's unusual is that typically a docket doesn't exist until some document is filed with the court that actually references a criminal case. Right. And I'm wondering if the mystery of that is solved in this redacted box on the CJA appointment. That's right. There is a redacted box for other docket number. And that would suggest that there is some other related case. and that. The in fact, there is further evidence of another related case found in the small print on the CJA form. There's a note or a question, I guess, to the lawyer saying, you know, have you previously applied to the court for compensation and or reimbursement for this case? And the box, yes, has been checked. Now, you might be thinking we're two lawyers getting way too far in the weeds here, but the relevance is this. It appears from this docket there was at least one other undisclosed case related to these charges, and the government is taking measures to keep it secret. More on what that may be in a minute. All right, let's talk. Let's go back to the docket. There are essentially 10 different documents reflected across three different dates. What we see on June 20th are three different entries. You see an indictment being entered, a sealed signature page, and then an order issuing a bench warrant. Yeah, I, this really jumped out at me when I read that there was a bench warrant in the case because there had been no failure to appear. Why issue a bench warrant? Frankly, I don't know. In my experience, when my representation of the individual is known to the government, the prosecutors usually would arrange for the individual to appear at, you know, a predetermined time at court for an initial appearance. So they're obviously trying to work something out, as my read of that. They decide to go ahead with the indictment for whatever reason, and then instead of, you know, handing a notice of appearance or a summons to the lawyer, they issue a warrant. And, I mean, it, and it's even more sort of curious than that because the conduct that's charged in the indictment involves allegedly lying to a grand jury. So the defendant had previously appeared at least once. And this is a defendant who has, by all outward appearances, cooperated or been available to the government. Somebody somewhere will return right after this break. The anomalies in the court's files were just the start of this curious saga. What we really wanted to know was who was this woman and how was she connected to any of the suspects we have discussed in this case. Jody was traveling when the news broke, but even though she had her hands full, she dug right in. So tell me what you found on Shauna Reed. What's her deal? She is a 34-year-old woman, and it looks like in 2012, in July, she lost a son to a drowning accident that happened in her father-in-law's pool. And she was doing laundry in her father-in-law's house. 
So this small child sneaks out of the house and drowns in an accident. The father of the small child, Kevin Sicka, sues his own father and the mother, Shauna Reed, for essentially negligence in not protecting the child. He sues his own father for not putting up an appropriate fence to avoid a drowning accident. So here is a woman who has lost a small child and for what I can gather is pretty broken. She's had a lot of sort of emotional issues tied to this. It looks like she has a new boyfriend and he apparently works in the water heater business in Bothell. So at the time she was at the time she was previously married, she lived in Illinois. Yeah. She was with uh, a man named Kevin Sicka. When did she come out this way, do you know? I don't have the exact date. So I wonder if these conversations that she allegedly had with suspect one could have conceivably happened before 2012. It seems seems unlikely. No, I think the conversations between she and suspect number one, which I did some digging, but I've got to run to the airport, but I'll share with you what I found. And before we go any further on this thread, I want to openly acknowledge that we're getting into a highly speculative area. So in the interest of everyone involved, we're going to need to bleep out a name. For clarity, this bleep is not for the pilot. So here's what we know based on yet another sealed court document we received from a source, and why we think it's related to the Shauna Reed case. In June of 2017, just two months prior to Ms. Reed's first interviews with the FBI, federal officials were scouring the contents and contacts of a Samsung Galaxy cell phone, a phone that had been seized by Marysville, Washington police in a 2015 extortion case. The facts of the 2015 case are sordid. They involve the extortion of a woman by a man who claimed he had a sex tape of the two and that he would send it to her children's school, her husband, and her workplace if she didn't pay him $1,000 a week. When the man was ultimately arrested, He had in his possession a pill bottle with two oxys. The label indicated that he had just filled that prescription the day of his arrest, and he would provide no explanation why the bottle said 120 pills and he only had two left. The man would plead guilty to extortion a month later, and the police would keep an image of his cell phone that was in his possession pursuant to a state warrant. Two years later, in June 2017, an FBI special agent goes to the chief judge of the U.S. District Court in Seattle and says he wants a warrant to look at the extortionist cell phone image for evidence of drug dealing. This was just weeks before the FBI interviews Miss Reed. And it would be reasonable to believe that a judge might look at this request with some skepticism. What's the FBI doing asking to look at a phone under the guise of a purported drug investigation into something that happened two years prior and was not even prosecuted by state authorities. And so the agent hedges his bet, and in doing so, let's slip the real reason. 
First, he says he's discussed this matter with Assistant United States Attorney Stephen D. Clymer, the New York prosecutor in the Wales death investigation, who told him the affidavit was sufficient. Then he adds this, quote, The information provided in this paragraph is not offered for the purpose of establishing probable cause to search the target telephone. It is offered to explain to the court that there may be a request for a follow-up search warrant. The suspect has been interviewed on numerous occasions in connection with claims he has made that he has knowledge about and that he may have had some involvement in the October 2001 murder of Assistant United States Attorney Thomas Crane Wales. What thread I'm trying to find is any connection between and Reed. Why do you think the is connected with her? They're both from the same area. They were both living in Everett. I'm trying to dig. I have a theory. I'm trying to connect it, but it feels like it all fits within the timeline. And I know you had thought that maybe the connection was in a bar, but I'm wondering if he was cruising her on Facebook And that's where this dialogue was happening because this search warrant also actually now is sealed. So I suspect, and I have to try to connect the dot between Reed and but I suspect that suspect number one in our current affidavit is and not the pilot. And here's how the various pieces appear to fit together on their face. Based on everything we've learned, the FBI seems committed to their theory that the pilot was responsible for Whale's death. Their problem has always been, there are phone records showing someone making or receiving a phone call at his house at the time of the murder, and they don't seem to have any evidence putting the pilot at the scene. So they have to believe someone else was the trigger man. Was it Jeremiah, the inmate Scott Lee Kimball said confessed to him about the crime? Was it Bruce McClung, his mentor and former hunting partner, now living deep in the woods in northern Washington? Was it the Bosnian hitman Mikel Azakos said he heard about on the street? Or was it this convicted extortionist who bragged about being involved in the murder and who seems to have dragged Miss Reed into this mess? And of all of the theories, if that's what they're pursuing now, I just don't know. It seems like an even bigger stretch unless they have something connecting him with their prime suspect. In fact, by their own admission in the phone search warrant, the FBI doesn't even believe the guy is credible in his statements about his possible involvement in the murder. You know, in the search warrant, it says that they looked into this and it wasn't a good lead, but I'm wondering now if that's just the sideshow that the FBI now is trying to throw a squirrel. Yeah, and they say he's he's been interviewed multiple times about knowledge, but over time, made demonstrably false claims to investigators on the subject. Right. So, I hate to say it, God, it doesn't look like this is anything more than a continuation of the dog and pony show. Yeah. It's just... You know, race ibsud. Yeah. All right, you got to go. Keep working. Yeah, in other news, the internet is a toilet. You can find just about anything in there. 
And on that note, I think we'll wrap this episode's speculation until we have more to go on. We will keep you posted as to new developments in both the Wales case and the Shauna Reed case. And maybe even in the bleep name case, since the feds say he lied to them too. And this could very likely be the missing document number one in the court docket for Reed. In fact, don't be surprised if this is the next shoe to drop and drop quickly. Hopefully the FBI will prove us wrong and bring charges against the person or persons who killed Tom Wales and not just those who appear to have claimed they did or heard someone say so. Meanwhile, we implore the new team of investigators working this case to keep a broad lens and to be open to all reasonable possibilities as they continue their search for who killed Tom Wales. Life's a foolish game Do you ever feel the same? Well, maybe we could change Somebody Somewhere is written and produced by Jody Gottlieb and me. It is a production of Rainstream Media Incorporated. Sound design, editing, and mixing has been provided by Resonate Recordings. Every week they're bringing their A-game, and we couldn't have done it without them. Check them out at ResonateRecordings.com. A Foolish Game is written and performed by Snowflake, and original score and voiceover work is provided by Hallie Payne. Social media videos and artwork provided by Kendall Payne. If you have any information regarding the Tom Wales case, please contact us via our website, sbswpodcast.com. And finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. Thank you for listening. 